And if you're going to stay with us, let's turn to the book of Daniel, please. And by the grace of God, we'll finish the book of Daniel today. We're going to have some slides come up today. I'm going to use a couple of slides to help us go through these last few verses in Daniel 12. And while you're finding that, let me take an opportunity to announce that next Sunday we still have uh, Bible study and the main service. It's our normal Sunday schedule. However, during the Bible study hour, during this time, we're going to have an open Q&A, a Bible Q&A. And much like we've done in the past, we'll have you guys write down your questions on a slip of paper, and then our uh, deacon will help us, Brother Francois will read off the questions, and we'll go through as many of those as we can during the Bible study hour. So just so you know, if you have a Bible question, maybe been floating around in the back or front of your mind, next Sunday morning we'll have a chance to uh, deal with that by the grace of God. All right, Daniel 12, and last time we ended in verse 4. Let's just read that to pick up some momentum here. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, I believe we've reached that time in, in history where Knowledge has been increased. There's been a, an explosion of various forms of knowledge, scientific, te technological, engineering, all of that. And many are running to and fro. That's part of the engineering explosion and technology and so forth. And now the words that we're studying in the book of Daniel, we're starting to see things fall into place for this stuff to be fulfilled. Verse number five, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river. He's walking on the water. So that, that would tip your mind to thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now let me, I, as, as we've talked about this man before, let me reintroduce him to you. The man clothed in linen, all right? So there's an angelic being, or let's just say an angel on one bank of the river, another on the other side, and then there's one on the water. Look back at chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8. Chapter 10, forgive me. Chapter 10, verse number 5. Chapter 10 and verse 5. Chapter 10, 11, 12. It's all one narrative. Please, please keep that in mind. It all goes together. And in verse number 5, Daniel says, Then I, I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body was like the barrel. And we've discussed this, this messenger. Some people do think he's Jesus. I would say rather he is uh, just an, an angelic being, a, a messenger of some sort from God. Uh, but that's who we're dealing with in chapter 12. So come back to chapter 12 and verse 6. The question here is how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? It is a timing question. Now, what we read, remember, back in chapter 12, verse 1, if you look right in the middle of it, there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even at that same time. And at that time, thy people should be delivered, everyone that was found written in the book. So this horrible time of trouble, how long? Daniel wants to know how long is this going to take? And the answer comes forth in verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven. Can I just tell you, if you read in Revelation 10, 
you have an angel over there doing very much the same thing. I'm just telling you where to make cross-references in your Bible. He holds up his, his right hand and his left hand unto heaven and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times, and in half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, that is referring to the Jews as a nation, all these things shall be finished. I said, let me narrow that down. I've said Jews as a nation. Let me, let me un, uh, explain that a little better. In this last portion of the tribulation time, the Jews will have realized that they were in a covenant with the Antichrist, and they'll realize their mistake, and they will have at this point, not every single Jew on the planet, but as a nation, they will realize that Jesus is the Messiah. And that you're going to see later on, many of them are going to then speak out against the Antichrist and be persecuted for that. But that's why they're referred to as a holy people. In these days, in a, in the day and age in which we live, we need to make that clear because I don't want you to think current day Israel is somehow acting in a holy manner in everything they do. I just want to be clear on that. Nevertheless, that's a, a different discussion. We've talked about that in the past. Let me uh, point out a couple things about this. So in verse 7, it shall be a, for a time, times, and half a time. Now, we've talked about this before, so we'll move a little bit quickly through this. And we have a lot of verses to look at, so I'm not going to turn you to all of these. Just a quick recap. 1,260 days equals 42 months, which is explained by saying time, times, half a time. A time would be one year. Times, that's plural, two years. So one plus two is three, half a time, three and a half. Three and a half years is 42 months, which is 1,200 or 1,260 days. I, keep, I forget that you guys don't say 1,260. It's 1,260. All right, down here, Antichrist resurrected and takes over the world. Now, again, you've seen, we've, we've covered this in Daniel 7. I've shown you in Revelation 13. Right here at the halfway point, this is seven years represented between these two arrows. This is the rapture. This is what we call the second coming or the second advent. The Antichrist will be assassinated and resurrected right there in the middle. And from that point on, you have this three and a half year time frame to work with. At the same time, Israel will be hiding in the wilderness. The name of the place where they will hide is called Sila Pitra. And you get this from Revelation 12, verse 6 and verse 14 talks about them running into the wilderness to hide, but then you can go to multiple other places in the prophets, in the Old Testament, and get the names Selah, where's my laser pointer, Selah, well, there it is, Selah and Petra. Do you guys remember reading this word in the book of Psalms? You'll get the verse and then it will say Selah. Right? In musical terms, that means pause, right? But it also means rest. Right? So in musical terms, you'd rest there. You wouldn't sing or play the instrument. But Selah Petra is resting in the rock. So that, that, that actually goes quite deep. But again, that, we're not going to spend much time on that this morning. And then also Moses and Elijah are prophesying during this time. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3, that's where we read about these time frames. And they are prophesying in the last half of this tribulation time. All right? So after the Antichrist is risen again, he makes the claim that he's God. Moses and Elijah show up and say, no, he's not. And if anybody tries to come against Moses and Elijah and take them down, they are literally fire-breathing prophets. It says they can call down fire and fire proceeds out of their mouth and all of that stuff starts to happen. 
All right, so this is what we've read in verse number seven. A lot of this we've already studied, so let's not linger on it. Let's move to verse eight, because as we get to verses 11 and 12, there's much more we need to say there. In verse eight, it says, and I heard, but I understood not. Amen, Daniel. I'm right there with you. Pray. I love these verses in the Bible. <laughs> these are the ones I like to highlight and underline and circle, because that's me right there. Okay, I heard you, but what? What does that mean? And if you notice, Daniel has a lot of questions. If you read through the prophets, just through the Bible for that matter, but especially the prophets, you, you will see them asking a lot of questions. Lord, what does this and that mean? It's perfectly fine if you read it and go, I don't quite get that. You're right there with the prophet who wrote it. <laughs> the prophet who wrote it also was scratching his head saying, now what did I just say? <laughs> Now, in case you think I'm just uh, going too far with that, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you that in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. As you find 1 Peter 1, verse 9, you might remember where Jesus, you can read it in Matthew 13, where he, he gives the parables and he says, many righteous men, kings, prophets, they have desired to see these days that you're now seeing, but they didn't get to see it. These prophets knew that they're talking about the time the Messiah would come, but they, did, they couldn't see it all clearly. Because when you're talking about prophecy, you're looking through the glass darkly. So they were offering a shadow of things to come, a detail here and there, but they could not see clearly everything that we now know and see. 1 Peter 1, verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. That tells me it, that, that specific grace hadn't come to them. They knew that there's something different God's going to do for the people of, of humanity. There's something different coming. Verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. When is this going to happen? The word that we might use on that is dispensation. God's working this way now, but how's He going to work then? When is He going to do all this other stuff that we're prophesying about? Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves. Boy, you got to understand the weight of that. What were they prophesying about? The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And it did not apply to them. Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Isn't that something? So here we are having a Bible study trying to talk about these prophetic things. I don't know how many angels might be sitting around here going, let's see what they have to say about that. <laughs> this is interesting. Angels are not eternal, right? They, they have a beginning. So they're not omniscient and omnipotent. So they know what God has revealed, and no doubt they know more about it than we do. But angels desire to look into this. The prophets wrote it and said, hmm, how does that work? So look back at Daniel 12 in verse number 8. 
I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So he's already asked, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? But, but that was how long. Now he's asking, what shall be the end of these things? And in response to that, we're going to see a, a very short, quick description of the end times. But then the discussion will swing back to various events that are going to happen after the tribulation. So it is answering the question of what, not just how long, that gets addressed, but how long until this time of trouble stops, 1,260 days, sorry, 1,260 days, all right, but then after 30 more days, something else happens, then after 45 more days, something else happens, and then after 1,040 days, something, and we're going to break that down for you just now. So verse number nine, he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. I said, Daniel, you got a great question, but I'm sorry, I can't answer it for you. I, I, I can't, I've been told, you've been told to shut up the book, seal it for now. So I'm going to give you just enough to whet your appetite. But then when you get to the time of the end, we have it, the book of Revelation. This is going to be expounded upon and we'll fill in more of the gaps. Understand, guys, we do not have the whole picture yet. Right? We're still looking through the glass darkly. But I think we are just on the brink of seeing these things come to pass. Right, verse 10, many shall be purified and made white and tried. Right, so when it says made white, this is they, the spot, the defilement has been cleansed. They've been purified, they've been tried, they've been tested. Various tribulations, the fiery trials which are to try you. Okay? Uh, it says many shall be purified and made white and tried but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So somebody that is in this tribulation time, they have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They believe God's revelation about what's happening. They believe the Bible. They're going to know. Yes, we're going through great tribulation, but we can be of good cheer. Jesus is coming soon. Battle of Armageddon. We're going to be on the winning side. So they understand. And they know things are going to get worse before they get better. They get it. The wicked, they don't understand. In their minds, they're going to save the planet through global, you know, climate control and through government, you know, taking a mark and federalizing. They have these weird ideas to save the planet. They don't get it. And they're just going to keep doing wickedly. Now, let me show you a couple of things in Revelation. Get chapter 3 and verse number 18 talking about people being tried and purified. Jesus is speaking to the church of the Laodiceans. This represents a certain group of people. And by the way, there will be local churches still existing in the tribulation time. In the middle of this... Oh, my, light, my laser's dying on me here. Here we go. This is the old-fashioned laser pointer. <laughs> In the middle of that, in the, all throughout these seven years, there are still local churches operating. And the warnings that Jesus gives these seven churches apply to any and all churches that will exist in that tribulation time. Now, obviously, there's plenty that we can learn from it. There's lots of applicable stuff here. And I think this is applicable. Verse 18, Jesus says to this church, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. 
the church of the Laodiceans had become very comfortable. They weren't cold, they weren't hot, they were lukewarm. They said, in verse number uh, 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now think about that statement. I'm rich and increased with goods. They, if this is a church with any saved people in it, they couldn't be saying that at the second half of the tribulation because then they'd have to take the mark to have riches and goods. They couldn't say that. They have to be saying that in the early days. So Jesus is saying, guys, you don't realize your spiritual condition is setting you up for danger. You think you have it made because you have a few of the goods of this world. In, in actual sense, verse 17, you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I'm, I'm giving you some advice in verse 18. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. Get ready to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested, and you're going to have to be willing to give up the goods of this world to maintain that faith that, that you've achieved, that you have. Because in the tribulation, they have to endure that hardness to hold on unto the end, or else they can actually not be saved. Unlike us, we are in the body of Christ. We have a different situation, praise the Lord. But these folks don't have that. Now, so I, I want you to see there, they have to have their faith tried. That matches Daniel 12. And it says, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. So they have to have a good testimony and not be spotted by the fleshly lust and the temptations of the world. Now, look at Revelation chapter 9. So that's part of the, the wise that understand. They respond to what Jesus says. They respond to what the Spirit says to the churches. And they're going to go through a lot of trials and troubles and endure that hardness. Revelation 9, look at verse 20. After describing some horrible, horrible, let's call them plagues, uh, judgments that are going to happen, locusts get released out of the bottomless pit, some demonic locusts, and then there's some demonic horses. And we're talking millions, if not billions of people die as a result of this. Verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. Now the reason I'm giving you this verse is because you read this in shorter version in Daniel 12. The wicked shall do wickedly. While the righteous are being persecuted, and that persecution actually purifies them. That is how they purchase the gold tried in the fire. That is how the raiment is made white. They have to have a good testimony in that time. If they don't, and they give that up, Revelation chapter 16, you can see what happens. Verse number 15, Jesus said, Behold, I come as a thief, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. So they got to hang on to that good testimony. Now, I've given you that because I want you to understand when you're reading Daniel 12, where it fits elsewhere in the Bible. It fits in that part of, of Revelation. But So come back to Daniel 12. We read about people, there, there are millions dying all around them, and they will not repent of their murders, their thefts, their sorceries, their fornication. The wicked shall do wickedly. You, you think about that. When you see, if we were to have some horrible atrocity in Pachastruam and nine-tenths of the city died, 
I think the one-tenth remaining would probably go, okay, we better check our behavior. <laughs> we, we better, let, let's take a longer look at this and see what brought this about. It, but these folks in the tribulation time, their heart is so hard. Iniquity abounds. And they just keep getting deeper and deeper into their sin. Now, Daniel 12, verse 11. Back to the timing part of this. Let's move to the next slide here. Daniel 12 and verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away. All right, when does that happen? There's my pointer. Right there in the middle. The daily sacrifice is taken away right there in the middle of the tribulation time. Uh, it says, from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up. That's the Antichrist going in, putting that image of himself in the temple. There shall be a thousand, two hundred, and ninety days. Well, see, now that's, that's not 1,260. We have an extra 30 days. So, that is all we're told. This is by no means God revealing a secret. He's not explaining it. He's just saying, there it is. Now, what are we to do with that? Well, do, do you see how I've written over here three question marks? Because I asked the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and they all said, you, I ain't going to tell you. <laughs> I, got, I got question marks about it. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm going to make a biblically educated guess. I hope that's all right. And, and you guys know I do this from time to time. So if, if you want to go a different direction with this, help yourself. Biblically educated guess. When Jesus comes back to the earth, all right, let me tell you what I do know. When Jesus comes back, there is going to be a wedding feast that takes place on the earth. That I do know. That's a definite thing. We're actually going to study it soon in the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We read about it. It happens on the earth. The wedding ceremony, the wedding of the Lamb takes place in heaven. But then the reception, the wedding feast takes place on the earth. I read in Matthew chapter 22 that somebody is going to try to get into that feast and he's not going to have the right garment. He's not going to have any garment. And they're going to stop him and say, friend, how, how comest in hither without this garment? And he, he has no testimony. He has no profession. He is not a believer. He physically survived the troubles of that horrible time. A few will. And then they try to walk into the wedding banquet and he says, no, no, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. He can't come in here. Because you have to be a believer to continue on in the kingdom. But this tells me something. If you have a man wandering into the wedding feast without a garment, that tells me that the judgment of the nations, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, has not yet happened. Because if it had... The, the righteous and the wicked would have already been severed and the righteous would be in the kingdom and the wicked would be in the fire and there wouldn't be any wanderers just stumbling into the wedding feast. So the battle of Armageddon, I, now I, I know we're going deep, guys. Just, just stick with me here, all right? We're going deep. Wedding, the, the battle of Armageddon happens, then the wedding feast. All right, take your Bible, come to Ezra chapter 3. What happens right after the wedding feast? Now, here I could actually, we could take an hour talking about all the intricacies of what will happen in this time. So please understand, I'm, I'm condensing this to match the context we have in Daniel. I'm trying to expound on what we're looking at in Daniel. 
But we could look at plenty of other places that talk about some other things that will happen. Ezra 3, let's look together, please, at verse number 1. When the Jews came back into their land after the exile, the king allowed them to go back, and they they actually had permission to rebuild the temple. Now, they they didn't get around to doing that for a while. But I want you to see the first thing they did when they got back. Ezra 3, verse 1. And when the seventh month was come... And the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the, what? Altar of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. There were still Gentiles in the land at that time. And they offered burnt offerings uh, thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. Now watch this next thing. I want you to watch it. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles. As it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom, as the duty of every day required, and on they went with the offerings. Now, when they, when they went back, the first thing they did is they, start, they put that altar up. It's not even standing on four legs. They're having to hide a little bit, but they have a form of an altar, and they start giving sacrifices. So that is where my guess comes in, that after the wedding feast... That now, and you read about this in the book of Ezekiel, that in this millennial time, in what we call this kingdom age over here, people will be offering sacrifices once again. Look at, look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And he said, Brother Mike, why would they be giving offerings? Didn't Jesus do away with all that? Watch now. The burnt offering, the peace offering, free will offering, sin offering, trespass offering, all of that. All of those offerings stood in the place of something. They were a shadow of things to come. You guys remember that in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1? A shadow of things to come. You know what they are after Jesus has come and done it? They are a shadow of what has already happened. It is simply a memorial, much like we have the Lord's Supper makes us remember what has happened. So when these Jews, and I'm going to show you now, the rest of the world comes to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice, you can read in Ezekiel where they offer a sin offering. That doesn't mean that they don't need the cross, they don't need the sacrifice that Jesus made. It is done in memorial of what Jesus has done. It is a way of saying thank you for what you've done. So the sacrifice might look the same on the altar, but the purpose for giving it will be different. Now let me show you in Colossians 2, let's read verse 16 and 17 together. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, that's the Jewish diet, or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. There's your Jewish calendar, all the special days. Verse 17, which are a shadow of what? Of things to what? Things to come. They're, they're, They're coming back of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Right now, God is dealing, his focus is with the body of Christ, but once the body of Christ is out of the way, we, we get taken up to heaven here, 
Now, when Jesus comes back, he reestablishes the nation of Israel, and those offerings come back into view. Now, as I say, they don't, say, they don't serve the same purpose, but they are there again. So here's my educated guess. Turn to Zechariah, and let me formulate my thought here. Keep holding Daniel. We'll be right back to it. Zechariah chapter 14. If you're struggled to find it, get Matthew. Come one book back. You're Malachi. One more, Zechariah 14. So I think right after the wedding feast, the Jews put up an altar. They don't have a temple yet. The temple will be rebuilt. We'll talk about that momentarily. But they put up an altar and they start offering sacrifices. And they start thanking the Lord for sending his son. And they, I'm going to show you now, they, they, they honor the Feast of Tabernacles, just like we read in Ezra. Because history has a way of repeating itself. The thing that has been is the thing that shall be. There's no new thing under the sun. The Bible's a circle. So if you want to read about the future, just read about the past. And you, and you can learn a lot from that. All right, Zechariah 14, verse number 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, tribulation, and shall go, even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the what? Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. So the form of worship is set right, and it's all done unto the Lord. Verse 21, Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seethe therein, that's soaking it in it. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite and the house of the Lord of hosts. The enemies of God are completely gone. And again, there, much more can be said and expounded here. I'm just showing you that this system of worshiping God with sacrifices is a reality in that kingdom time. So I think when we're talking about 1,290 days, right? We're talking about, if you look at the context of the verse, you can go back to Daniel 12 if you want to see it in your Bible. I got it on the, on the uh, wall here. From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away. So that's what he's talking about in the verse. The sacrifice goes away. When does the sacrifice come back? I'm going to say that the sacrifice comes back after 1,290 days. The tribulation where the Antichrist is persecuting them, 1,260 days. But it takes another 30 days for the Jews to get that altar together, sacrifices together, the wedding feast has happened. Then after those extra 30 days, they start sacrificing again. So that's my sacrifices altar question, question, question. That's my best guess at that. All right, next one. Let's get Daniel 12, verse 11. Are you guys following this okay? I know this is a lot for, a, well, any, any church, right? But let, let, let's keep pushing here. Verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, all right, you should know by now that's talking right here in the middle. From the time the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, 
Oh, dear, I'm sorry. I meant verse 12. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand, three hundred, five and thirty days. Okay, so even less information is given here. He just says, you want a blessing? You think it's going to be good? Now, if my guess is right, you think it's good when we start offering sacrifices again? Wait until you see this event. This is going to be a blessing. This, to me, makes me think of the time of Ezra. Because it was wonderful when they began to offer sacrifices. They were all rejoicing, but they didn't have their temple back yet. So if you think this was great, okay, you're back in the land and you're offering sacrifices, wonderful, but wait until you see the temple standing and all of Jerusalem going about their business like they should, so there was more to come. All right, so what do we, what do we think about these days? Jesus comes back, second advent, battle of Armageddon. Then there's the wedding feast, right? A few other things happen, but then sacrificing gets restored. There's an altar. I'm going to say shortly thereafter, come to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is going to be inaugurated upon his throne, or let's say the throne of his father David. It's right to call it his throne as well. The throne of his father David. Wedding feast, sacrifices, and then Jesus, just like you would have any king, a coronation of a king, it's a big event. And people are getting everything ready and setting things up for this. I'm going to show you a passage in Psalms that kind of trumpets in the Messiah, the King, to his throne. But look at uh, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, right, that's the second advent, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. As I've said, there's other verses that you have to factor in there. So he comes in the glory of his Father. He comes with his angels. Then the wedding feast. Sacrifice is restored. Then he sits upon the throne. He's inaugurated as King of Kings, verse 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. So this is where the people that live through the tribulation time and we don't know how many will actually survive it. But whoever is left, physically, make it through. They get gathered together, and then he says, okay, sheep, goats, you can come into the kingdom. You have to go away into everlasting fire. This is what we call the judgment of the nations. Now, if you want to read about this further, just read the book of Psalms. It is all through the book of Psalms. Especially Psalm 2 is a great place to read about it. Ask of me the heathen and I will give them to thee for an inheritance. Kiss the son lest he be angry. This is somebody bowing down before the king and, and offering that kiss of honor to him. But come to Psalm chapter 24. Let me show you where he gets inaugurated. We've just read in Matthew, he is seated upon the, th uh, the throne of his glory. In Luke chapter 1, it was prophesied that he would have the throne of his father David. Psalm chapter 24, <clears throat> and for the sake of time, let's just begin in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. See, so you see, they've got the city ready, and the wall is standing, and the gates are going to be opened, and here comes the presidential procession, if you will, and they have Jesus riding into town, 
And, and this is what they're saying. Hear ye, hear ye, all hail King Jesus. And as he's walking in, right? Now presenting King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of all, savior of mankind. And that's where all of us are just standing around going nuts, going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's our king. That's a great day. Just wait for that, right? That's where Daniel's, Daniel 12, just blessed is he that waits for this day. Because this is going to be a great day. Verse 8, who is this king of glory? Now see, this is what would happen at a coronation or an inauguration. The crowd or a set amount of people in the crowd would be told to ask these questions. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Because he just fought the battle of Armageddon. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And then the crowd responds, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Now, you see that Lord of hosts? H-O-S-T-S. You see that? You know what that word means? Armies. It keeps popping up when you're talking about the second advent because it's a battle. Who is this? He's the one that just fought the battle and won it. All right, so come back to the book of Daniel. This time get Daniel 8, and I want to show you one more thing that goes with this. So my, my guess on this, for the 1,335 days, 5 and 30 days, that is, an ex- oh, that is an extra 45 days beyond what we just mentioned. So sacrifices are, are up and running, and 45 days after that, you have the inauguration and the judgment of the nation's takes place within that time, right? But then after that, there's one other thing that happens. It's not mentioned in Daniel 12, but I just want to tie all this together just so you have the timeline in your head. Daniel 8, verse 13. So we've studied this before, obviously, just to quickly remind you of it. And this one's a lot easier because it tells us in the verse what we're dealing with. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint, which spake? How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? You see, that's a similar question to what we have in Daniel 12, somewhat similar. Verse 14, he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, this helps me when I read Daniel 12, because I know when he's giving these extra time frames, He's not talking about Jesus comes back at this particular... He's saying that the sanctuary is going to be standing. This one deals with the sacrifice. This one deals with some big blessing. So we can kind of piece it together in that way. So on this one, 2,300 days, if you take it from the middle here, where the daily sacrifice is taken away, and then you get 1,260 to this point, add on 1,040 days, right? And that's how you get 2,300 days. Now, the, the passage tells us that's when the sanctuary will be cleansed, okay? So just, we're not going to look at any verses on this. Ezekiel chapter 40, 41, <clears throat> sorry, 40. Ezekiel chapter 40, 41, 42. You read about the temple being rebuilt in this kingdom age, and they're going to have to dedicate that temple. There's a special cleansing that needs to be done after it's built, and it's going to take... After Jesus comes back, 1,040 days. So that's what, a little under three years for the temple to be properly rebuilt, the sanctuary cleansed and dedicated, and then the Jews can go and offer things in the temple. 
Now, you read about that in the, in the uh, end of Amos and other places. It talks about the temple standing again. All right, so let's come back to Daniel 12 and just finish up the book here now. Verse 13. So even though this angel has said, go thy way, the words are closed up, the angel then gives Daniel a couple of tidbits, just enough to keep him thinking and praying and meditating and searching the scriptures and keep us talking. But he doesn't give much explanation. And then he says in verse 13, but go thou, but go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. So Daniel, I know you're going to go home. You're going to lay there in your bed. And in Daniel, what is it, 7, I think, or maybe chapter 8, he says, I had much cogitations. He says, I, I thought over this a lot. I'm sure Daniel went home going, man, i got to figure this out. How does this work? I don't get it. Whew, this is tough stuff. This is a comfort to him to say, you know what? Don't worry if you don't understand it all. One day you're going to be standing right there and you'll see it all happen. And then you'll have full knowledge, full understanding and you won't have to be looking through the glass darkly. You'll be standing right there witnessing this whole thing. So if a lot of this has gone over your head this morning, take great comfort in this. If you're saved, you're going to go up at the rapture. You're going to be there for the marriage of the Lamb. You're going to come back and fight the battle of Armageddon alongside Christ. You'll be part of the wedding feast. You'll watch the sacrifices be given. You'll see the judgment of nations. You will be part of the crowd saying, Who is this King of glory? He's my King. He's my Savior. Welcome home, Jesus. And we're part of all of that. So we have a whole lot to look forward to. Now, some people say that Daniel... And, and I, I'm throwing this out here, food for thought. Some people say that Daniel is going to make a special appearance in the tribulation because of this verse. That they say, Daniel, you've got to go rest for a while. You will stand in thy lot at the end of the days. So they say, Daniel pops up and, alongside Moses and Elijah. Now, that's the only verse. There's one verse in Revelation that may be kind of a little bit. I'm putting that out there in case you hear it. I, I don't think so. I don't think Daniel's going to make that comeback during the tribulation time. I think he's going to rise up along with all the righteous Jews from the Old Testament. They're going to rise up right here when Jesus comes back. And I think that's when Daniel rises up and gets to see all of this stuff he was told. He's going to see it happen with his eyes. All right, there we go. Praise the Lord. We went through the book of Daniel. That took what, six years? Four? <laughs> that wasn't so bad. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, thank you today for the opportunity to look at the Scripture. And boy, there's a lot to it. And Lord, like Daniel, we look at this and we, we say, I hear it, but I understand not. And Father, we're fine with that because we have this great hope of one day seeing you face to face. And then we shall know even as we are known. Father, bless the fellowship now. And